0: Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom here on Spring Game Week at Ohio State as we prepare to return to the shoe on Saturday for uh, Ohio State's culminating spring practice, which will be held in front of fans at Ohio Stadium at noon on Saturday. Big Ten Network will be televising that. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to being back in the shoe, watching a little bit of football this weekend and we will talk all about that here as we get into the show on real pod wednesdays but have to start with the sad news that we learned on saturday morning that dwayne haskins had been killed when he was hit uh, by a truck while attempting to cross a roadway in florida and just a, a shocking Sad day. I don't know how you react to Griffin, but I know for me, I got a text about it and it was just you know, shocking. It was a, almost a state of disbelief as I was writing up the news about it because for somebody so young, somebody who I just covered at Ohio State. A few years ago, I don't. I don't remember if you were around much during the, the 2018 season. To somebody who just played for Ohio State so recently, someone who's still in the in the prime of their life at just 24 years old. I mean, I think you're 24 years old, Griffin. I'm a little bit older than that, but just to hear this news about somebody so young and with with so much life in front of him, it certainly was a a sad and
1: devastating weekend. Yeah, Dan. When we kind of got the first inkling that that might have been uh, what happened, I was hoping that it wasn't true, of course. And then later, of course, all the rest of the reports kind of flooded in and and confirmed what what we had heard. I was certainly uh, hoping that it was not actually true, of course. Yeah, he's a twenty four year old. I mean, I'm twenty four too. Like, you just don't expect someone, especially we view oftentimes these figures as larger than life or, or invincible figures, these NFL players and sports stars and things like that. And that's why it's especially shocking and just makes you really kind of consider mortality and things of that nature when someone like that dies in such an unexpected uh, manner yeah certainly not good news and but of course it has been nice to to see the outpouring of just love and admiration for Dwayne Haskins after his passing and yeah Ryan Day obviously uh, on Monday had that press conference to to share a lot of memories about Dwayne and some of those were very nice to hear yeah, it really does put everything in perspective, doesn't it? I mean, we talk so much about these guys
0: as football players, what they do on the field. And like you said, I mean, we admire the things they do and certainly they are There's so many people. They are these larger than life figures. They are these people you you don't necessarily think of them. You sometimes think of these people as invincible, but they're not. And we've had a lot of reminders of that in in recent uh, weeks and months and in years. This is about a, as stark as that reminder gets. And like you said, I mean, there's been such an outpouring of support and that's been you know, great to see. It doesn't, it certainly in no way makes up for this tragic loss. And it's such an unfortunate for somebody who had such a great Ohio state career, obviously, but it had some ups and downs in his first year and first few years in the NFL, but somebody who was trying to get on the right track and was trying to still have success in the NFL. We'll never know what could have happened for him there because his life was tragically cut short. But we do know what happened during his Ohio State career. I wrote about it over a weekend. that I feel like Dwayne Haskins really set the stage for what we've come to expect for Ohio State quarterbacks. Because if you just look at the numbers that he put up compared to the quarterbacks who played at Ohio State before him, I mean, it's staggering. I mean, before. Dwayne Haskins' his 2018 season, no quarterback had ever had more than 3,330 yards in a season. He topped that by more than 1,500 yards. He had 4,831 yards in 2018. JT Barrett, the year before that, had broken Ohio State's passing touchdown record with 35 touchdowns. Dwayne Haskins threw 50 passing touchdowns in, in 2018, and you know, if you just look, at the list of records. I mean, it's it's a very long list. And so I think Dwayne really changed the perception of what an Ohio State quarterback could do. They'd they'd had so many quarterbacks who were dual frets, who were in many cases just as good at running the ball as passing the ball. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, you had guys, I mean, Troy Smith and Braxton Miller and JT Barrett. Those are all guys who belonging of a pantheon of of Ohio state greats as well. But I think in terms of developing quarterbacks to go on to the NFL, Dwayne was the guy who really showed that a pocket passer could thrive in Ohio state's offense could put up big numbers and go on to be a first round NFL draft pick. And Justin Fields, CJ Stroud, Kyle McCord, all of those guys have specifically mentioned Dwayne Haskins 2018 season as part of a reason why they chose to become Buckeyes too. And so I think he, by redefining what was possible for an Ohio state passer kind of set the stage for what we're seeing now, where now it's just an expectation that the Ohio state quarterback is going to put up huge numbers and is going to go on to be a first round NFL draft pick. But should not be forgotten that just a few years ago, that was not the case at all. And it really wasn't until Dwayne Haskins had the season he did in 2018, that perception started to change.
1: Yeah. And you think about those JT Barrett offenses. And of course, when Ryan Day did become part of the program in 2017, His numbers did look a lot different in 2017 compared to, you know, 2016 and things of that nature. You look at those offenses with him operating it, a lot of quarterback run, that was still something that that Urban Meyer and company really wanted to do. And and maybe younger recruits are, are looking at that. And especially if you're a guy that's trying to make it to the next level at the NFL, you're not necessarily wanting to put your body through the abuse of having to run the ball that much, but it took until Dwayne Haskins got into the program as that high caliber, pure passing pocket passer quarterback. In, in the success that he had, maybe for, for guys like Quinn Ewers to want to come to a place like Ohio State, and you're seeing how the the seeds of what Dwayne Haskins planted there, in tandem with Ryan Day in that p- passing offense, have gone on to to prove fruitful in getting guys like Kyle McCord, who's a five star recruit to, in, in some recruiting services, and and, and um, obviously the guys that are going to come even after that. You look at Devin Brown, another guy up there in the same type of stratosphere in terms of rec- recruiting status as a you know a pure passer of sorts. And yeah, of course, you just, the numbers that season, one of the main things I remember about that season in general, Dan, and, and I wasn't covering the team at that time closely. So I was you know, maybe looking at it through a different lens at that time than, than you were, but just the, the monster games that he kept having all season, the five touchdown games, the 350 plus yard games at a certain point during that season, I kept thinking maybe it would be a, a one-off here and there, but then he just game after game, you just kept putting up those crazy numbers. And then when you look at it, now and just the the stats that he accumulated and what he was able to accomplish, it really was something special. He really carried that team because that was a
0: team kind of like last year. Uh, they did not have a good defense. Uh, they really struggled on the defensive side of the ball. Their running game struggled that year too. So that year really, they didn't make the college ball playoff, but they only lost one game. They won the Rose Bowl much like they did this last year. And They won the Big Ten Championship, and he was the biggest reason why. The numbers that he put up, his ability to really carve up defenses with his arm week in and week out was the reason why Ohio State, although they didn't quite reach their goals that year, they were still one of the best teams in the country, and he was really the biggest reason why for that. Do you have a Dwayne Haskins moment that stands out most in your mind? When Ryan Day was talking about it on Monday, You said beyond off-field stuff, which is where a lot of his memories will come in. He said on the field, his favorite memory was the Maryland game in 2018, where Dwayne both passed for free touchdowns and ran for free touchdowns in that game to lead Ohio State to a 52 to 51 overtime victory, staving off an upset in his home state. For you, Griffin, is there a game that stands out in your mind as the game you'll always remember for Dwayne Haskins as a Buckeye?
1: Yeah, well, I was actually at the Michigan game as a student that year, but I'll actually go with the Penn State game where, where Haskins had to lead Ohio State from down, I believe, twelve points in the fourth quarter on the road early in the season as well. I think that might have been their their first Big Ten game of the season in, in 2018 as well, if I'm not mistaken, and in a really hostile environment. And that was at a time when we didn't quite know who Dwayne Haskins. We didn't know he was going to throw 50 touchdowns at that point. It was still very early in the season, and that wasn't his prettiest statistical performance either in terms of he didn't throw 400 yards and five touchdowns but he had to really show his metal was really tested in that game a couple of big time touchdown passes at the end of that game of course everyone remembers the the Benjamin Victor uh, run and catch uh, score to bring Ohio State back in that one that will definitely stand out to me as maybe his finest moment early in a season to to show what he really had beyond just a, a game where he put up a ton of stats yeah that's a good choice cuz that's a game that was a game that
0: I feel like didn't necessarily get as much due as it deserved because I feel like the year before that the JT game against Penn State like, I feel like that's the one that's been remembered more over the years but the Dwayne one was pretty similar like it wasn't those two games were pretty similar to each other like one wasn't necessarily greater than the other And I feel like you know the 2017 one I think just of it being at home I think maybe that had a little more like it added a little bit more to it. But To me, that Penn State game in 2018 was another, you know, great comeback game. That's certainly worthy of remembering. I think when I think back through that season, I feel like the game that you know stands out in my mind in terms of just like his finest performance was probably the big 10 championship game against Northwestern. He threw for 499 yards in that game, setting the school record at the time. And I mean, he was just on that night. Like he, I think he completed over 80% of his passes. I mean, he was just dialed in. I, I came out of that game thinking I felt like there was a, very legitimate argument for Dwayne Haskins to win the Heisman and he didn't end up winning it. But That did secure his invite. And I remember writing after that game about how Dwayne had made his Heisman argument because he just played that well that night that I, I really came out of it thinking you could make a very real case for Dwayne Haskins to win the Heisman trophy that year. But when I think of his whole career and I think what moment stands out to me the most I got to go for comeback at Michigan in 2017 because that was really our introduction to Dwayne Haskins. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, people love to rehash the the Dwayne Haskins versus Joe Burrow debate for the last four years. I mean, that was the moment where Dwayne Haskins became Ohio state's next starting quarterback. Like when people had those Haskins Burrow debates, like the thing they forget is like, there would have been a revolt of a fan base at that time. If Dwayne was not the next starting quarterback, because expectations for him were so high coming out of that Michigan game and he ended up living up to them but the, the expectations were so high coming out of that Michigan game I mean to come in I think first drive him a game it's third and long and he completes that throw to Austin Mack he leads Ohio State on a touchdown drive and you could just see in that moment like this guy's got something special you, you could see it right in that moment and we had to wait until the next year to really get the full picture of it But I think that's the moment I'll always remember of Dwayne Haskins that was that was the moment where you went, all right, this guy has a chance to be an all time great quarterback for Ohio State. And what he did that next year, he ended up cementing his legacy as somebody who, even though he was only a starter for one year, in my mind, certainly deserves to be considered among the all time great quarterbacks in Ohio State history. Because, again, at least for now. He still holds most of a single season records. I'm sure you know, CJ Stroud is going to try to make a run at some of those this year. You know, Stroud's already broken a few of them. Justin Fields has already broken a few of them. But again, if you just look at the records from over a hundred years of Ohio State football before 2018, and then you look at what Dwayne Haskins accomplished in 2018, that tells you right there how you know great he was for Ohio State because he took there he passed the ball at a level that was simply far more prolific than we had ever seen before from an Ohio State quarterback.
1: And we should just mention one more time, because I think a lot of fans will remember this game maybe more than any other Dwayne Hastings game it was just the 62-39 the uh, Ohio State win over Michigan, six touchdown passes. Some of those had uh, featured a lot of work from some of those wide receivers like Paris Campbell and whatnot. But obviously, that was a game that a lot of people thought Ohio State was going to lose that game just because they had stumbled a little bit. Like you mentioned with that, that Maryland game against a, a one-point overtime win against a Maryland team that was unranked at the time. The Purdue loss a few weeks before that Michigan game as well. That was a Michigan team with a, a very uh, vaunted defense at that time. And Ohio State just went absurd putting up points on that team. And Dwayne Haskins was a big reason why. And I thought it was a, one of the you know best kind of quotes for me from that Ryan Day presser talking about Dwayne Haskins' legacy. He was, he, was, he was asked, would you be the start, the head coach at Ohio State right now, if not for Dwayne Haskins? And Ryan Day said, probably not. Well, certainly, I think Dwayne is going to be on a lot of hearts
0: and minds on Saturday when fans return to the shoe and the Buckeyes are inside Ohio Stadium for their spring game. And we, as of the moment that we're recording here, we're not sure exactly how Ohio state will honor Dwayne Haskins at that game. We know they will do it in some way. And perhaps by the time you're listening to this, we'll have more of an answer about how exactly Ohio state will be honoring Dwayne, but I'm I'm sure that they are going to come up with something very thoughtful and very heartfelt to remember Dwayne during the spring game just a week after his passing. But I want to also talk about the, current football team and the, the football aspects we're going to see on Saturday in the spring game. Cause I, I know there's a lot of mixed opinions on a spring game. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but personally, I, I love the spring game. I mean, I think it's great that there's a spring game because to me, it's to me, it's kind of our appetizer for the entree that comes in the fall. It's our chance to go back to Ohio stadium and, and watch Football. It's not a full-fledged football game. I mean, we haven't heard for sure yet, but my guess is they will not be tackling players to the ground on Saturday. So it's not, it's not a real football game. It's certainly not everything that an actual football game is, but it's still an opportunity to you know get to see the team up close and personal and to get to watch them compete in a game like setting. And I think that there is plenty that we can learn in that respect on Saturday, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, because we've been to a couple practices, but for most listeners out there, Saturday is going to be the first time that people get to see what a Jim Knowles defense looks like on the field. So I know for me, that's going to be the number one thing I'm looking for on Saturday is just what do they do on defense? Knowing that they're going to keep things vanilla. They're they're certainly not going to throw all the tricks out of the bag during a spring game because they know Notre Dame is going to be watching that spring game film. So there, there certainly are going to be a lot of wrinkles in the defense to come that we're not going to see during the spring game. But at the same time, I've never seen a spring game where they run a scheme that's completely different to the scheme they're going to run in the the fall. I mean, typically, they still try to keep things true to what they're going to be doing in the fall because this is still a practice. It's their last practice until August. And it's an opportunity to evaluate how guys will fare with the added spotlight of fans in the stands and the game being on TV and performing in the stadium. And so this is still a very important evaluation opportunity for the coaching staff. And I think, especially on defense, it's going to be interesting to see how do they line up? Who lines up where? We might not get a clear picture of the depth chart per se, because some guys are going to be on a Scarlet team and some guys are going to be on a gray team, but I still think we're going to come out a Saturday with, more of an idea than we have right now of what the defense is going to look like and who the top guys might be at each specific position.
1: Yeah, I was going through some audio from our interview session with Tanner McAllister, who obviously has a ton of experience, you know, playing in this defense before, and, and just the way he was kind of talking about how they use the safeties and the, he was, you know, talking about how Ronnie Hickman in that adjuster free safety role, that he was saying that's not going to be a role where Ronnie Hickman just you know plays back in the back end the whole time. He's going to be coming up, making plays too. So I'm just, I'm curious to see just little things like that, how they might use those guys back there that might be different than Ohio State has used those positions, those safety positions in the past. And that's why when I'm writing down also players, I'm, I'm excited to watch or, or particularly key in on during the spring game. A lot of them of course are the defenders because that's where the change is happening with this team right now is in how they're implementing this new scheme. And, of course, all the talk about the Leo position, the Jack position, right? Jack Sawyer and Mitchell Melton are going to be two guys that we're definitely going to be watching. I think two other guys on defense that you have to kind of have in in a list like that, especially in a spring game where we're going to see some reserves playing more potentially are Caden Curry and Kai Stokes, the, the first two true freshmen for Ohio State to lose their black stripes here recently, both defenders, of course, and we're going to talk about those guys a little bit more later, but those are two guys as well that I'm uh, interested in seeing the impact that they can make in, in a setting like this. Yeah. All good choices there on the defensive side of the ball. I
0: mean, a few other guys have become mind to me. I think at cornerback, I'm going to be very interested to see Jordan Hancock and Kalen Johnson, because uh, those guys have gotten a lot of hype, but we really haven't seen them much on the field. I mean, they, they weren't, At Ohio State last spring, they didn't play much during the season. And so this is going to be our first opportunity to really see them covering wide receivers and and playing defense in extended action. So I'm intrigued to see what we see from Hancock and Johnson on Saturday, I think those are two guys that I'm certainly going to be very interested to watch the linebackers in general. I mean, to me, that remains one of the toughest positions to figure out exactly what the depth chart is going to look like. So just to see who's lining up at what spots. Again, I don't know how much we're going to see of free linebacker looks or anything like that in the spring game. Probably not a lot since Ohio State's probably not going to be doing a lot of two tight end stuff in the spring game. I'm interested to see who's lining up where. I mean, certainly CJ Hicks is a guy who comes to mind, but I'm interested to see what do we see from him? Is he a guy that can show something in his first spring game? So he's a guy who comes to mind. And then, yeah, I mean, last year we saw Jack Sawyer have a big spring game. Can we see somebody else up? I mean, when we watched practice a couple of weeks ago, the defensive line was having its way with the offensive line. So can we see another defensive lineman have a big game in the spring game? Whether that is a guy like a Jack Sawyer, a JT Tuamolo, or, or maybe it's somebody who's a little bit less heralded, who we haven't seen as much yet, but who can have a, a big game on Saturday and build some momentum.
1: And Dan, a couple guys I think that are now basically veterans in, in this Ohio State program that I think could really use a big spring game. And these are guys that might be closer to the top of the depth chart. I think it wouldn't hurt if, if a guy like Zach Harrison had a big spring game, just because I know a lot of fans kind of groaning about Zach Harrison hasn't been quite the player that we expected. I think you put Julian Fleming, of course, in the same category, as well as a guy who has been overshadowed, of course, by by Marvin Harrison Junior and Abuka, that's a guy if he came out and had a huge spring game. I think people would be pretty excited about what he can add to the mix there, a wide receiver as well. I also think a guy like Evan Pryor, a guy who's looking to become a guy that may, may that can factor into a three running back rotation of sorts. we kind of talked about last week how much we may or may not actually buy that you know concept if he comes out and impresses as well, that might be a good sign for him as a guy that can step up and have a bigger role in twenty twenty two like he wants to have. Yeah, I think your point on Zach Harrison is valid, but I have my doubts that we will see him much,
0: if even at all, in the spring game, considering that he, he's been limited all spring. I would not be surprised if he doesn't play in the spring game. And if he does, I think it will be pretty minimal. I think for me, if we shift to the offensive side of the ball, the, the top guy that I do want to see a big spring game from is Julian Fleming. Because I mean, I've said it before. I mean, I think. Now going into his third year, this is the time where we need to start to see it from Julian Fleming. We've heard about it for two years about what he could become, but now we need to see it. So he really is my number one guy on offense that I want to see what he can do in the spring game because we saw Marvin Harrison flash into Rose Bowl. We saw it. We've seen Mecca Buka flash. I think I think a big spring game for Julian Fleming would be big for him in terms of building momentum. And so I think that's a tangible thing But I think if Julian Fleming can have a big spring game, that could be something that gives him some confidence and gets him going to try to have a breakout season this fall. I think another guy, certainly for me, not necessarily, but he needs a big spring game because I think he's already locked in as a starter. But a guy that I'm certainly going to have my eyes on is Donovan Jackson, because we didn't see Donovan Jackson play a lot last year. And so to see him in really his first extended action as that starting left guard will be interesting. And based on what we saw practice a couple of weeks ago, we, we might see him take some snaps at tackle too. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how he looks. You, you have to figure on offense. I think CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Travion Henderson, those guys aren't going to play that much on Saturday. I mean, they'll probably play a little bit in the first half, I doubt they play it all in the second half. Those guys don't have a whole lot to prove in a spring game setting. But I think it's those guys like Donovan Jackson and and Julian Fleming who are going to be taking on bigger roles this year that you want to see something from them that we haven't seen yet. In the case of a guy like Jackson, just because he really hasn't played that much.
1: And yeah, and this specifically won't be... Of course, our, our first priority, we just talked about how the defense and, and things like that nature will kind of take center stage in this particular spring game. But it'll also be hard to ignore the quarterback play, especially if CJ Stroud doesn't play very much, which we don't necessarily expect him to. It's going to be hard to not key in on the Devin Brown versus Kyle McCord storyline a little bit there as well.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that will be interesting to watch those two guys throw a ball because I think at this time next year, most likely... Kyle McCord versus Devin Brown is going to be the top storyline we're talking about going into the spring game, because most likely those guys are going to be competing for a starting quarterback job next spring. And so I think at this time next year, that's going to be the top story. I think this year it's kind of a secondary story, but, Again, a chance for both of those guys to build some momentum. I mean, I thought Kyle McCord played really well in the spring game last year. And I think that played a part in him beating out Jack Miller for that number two job last year. So I think for him, I mean, I think he's another guy, like even just in terms of like the fan base, like I think he's a guy that like could use some momentum from having a good spring game. Cause I think there's definitely kind of a movement in certain portions of the fan base right now of like Devin Brown's the next guy. And Devin Brown could be the next guy. And you certainly I would like to see him have a great spring game on Saturday too. I think Kyle McCord for him, this could be kind of an opportunity for him to remind himself that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you go off 24, seven sports composite, Kyle's actually the only five-star guy in that room. So Kyle should not be uh, cast aside in any way as a guy who could potentially be Ohio state's next great quarterback. Based on what we saw from Devin Brown a couple of weeks ago, I think we could see some impressive things from him on Saturday too. And so definitely going to be interesting to watch those two guys. I mean, it's, it, that's one of those, but it's like, you have to be, you want to proceed with caution a little bit too, because most likely whatever they do on Saturday is going to be over analyzed for the next year. As people think about who could be Ohio state's next starting quarterback. I don't know how much the next year's starting quarterback competition is not going to be decided in this year's spring game, but nonetheless, it is an opportunity for either one of those guys to build some momentum on their side.
1: Yeah. Let's get into some insights from what we've been hearing from the players recently. We, we did just get to talk to all three of the quarterbacks that we just mentioned there, which was, you know, interesting because we hadn't heard from all of those guys in a little while also talking to the linebackers and, and defensive backs as well. Recently, I've just been intrigued to, to hear. And I wrote about this a few days ago was just how the, the quarterbacks and maybe even the, the offensive coaches and whatnot have been reacting to the new defense because that's kind of a perspective we, we hadn't gotten a whole lot of until kind of this stage in the spring in which the, the offense actually got has gotten to go up against the defense a little bit and see what all it brought to the table. And, and so I think a lot of people reacted on Twitter to the fact that C.J. Stroud was talking about the fact that you know, Jim Knowles' defense throws a lot at him and it's not just going up against this base coverage every day in practice. The exact quote was, they have different ways to get to different coverages, which is really good for my eyes to see, not just seeing cover one, cover three or just base coverages every day. I really appreciate Coach Knowles bringing that swagger to our defense. It's really going to help our offense. And I think, of course, when you hear that quote, if you're an Ohio State fan, it's it, it just you know makes you think about what were they doing on defense last year and kind of the shortcomings of that defense. Was it too plain Jane? Was it too reactive? Was it not complex enough in terms of the looks it gave, gave opposing offenses? And I think a lot of fans are excited to hear that Jim Knowles' defense is, you know, causing confusion for one of the top offenses in the country at at this stage in the spring.
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things that struck me from interviews over the past week was you, you could, you kind of, you read between the lines, and, you, and it feels more and more like Ohio State just didn't have a plan on defense last year. Like they just didn't, you just get that sense more and more of it. The coaching staff didn't know how to run a defense last year. And now they've brought in someone in Jim Knowles who does know how to run a defense. And the players are definitely taking notice. I mean, I think Steel Chambers, that was another thing that stood out to me. He was asked about was the defense too predictable last year. And he paused for about five seconds before answering. And then he smiled and said, yeah. Yeah. And it was he was pretty blunt about it. But yeah, they were they were too basic on defense last year, and opponents were able to take advantage of that. And so you definitely continue to get the vibe. Jim Knowles is doing things in a completely different way on defense than how Kerry Combs was doing it. And that's going to pay dividends for the Ohio State defense. And that's certainly where a lot of our focus has been. But I think the other side of that is interesting too. how Ohio State running a more complex, less predictable defense, how that could actually benefit Ohio State's offense too. Because I there, there was some chatter about that last year after the Oregon and Michigan losses of Ohio State's offense. I mean, Ohio State had one of the best offenses in of the country last year. When they went up against tougher opponents that were throwing them some different looks that maybe they weren't seeing in practice, they they weren't quite as sharp. They weren't, they had some struggles in the red zone and maybe some of that's because they weren't facing the kind of defensive looks and practice that they were going against in the game. And so I do think that could make a difference for the Ohio state offense too, just making them sharper in terms of the fact that they are going to see more looks and practice. They are going to have to diagnose different things. I mean, I remember after the Tulsa game last year of CJ Stroud basically admitting that there were looks in that game that he hadn't seen and and he, he was confused at times. And so I think the more things that are presented to them on the practice field, what Ohio State, what Jim Knowles was doing is not going to incorporate everything that every opponent does, but still just having to react in those competitive one versus one setting. Because there's a difference. There's a difference between C.J. Stroud and the first team offense practicing against the first team defense and C.J. Stroud and the first team offense practicing against the scout team, which the scout team is running what they think the opponent's going to do. The first team is running what Ohio State's planning to do. And so there's a difference between that. And I think that if Ohio, I think that if the offense has to react more to what the defense is doing in those one versus ones in practice in those competitive scrimmages in practice, I think that's only going to help Ohio State's offense in terms of preparing for the challenges they'll face during the actual season.
1: Yeah, and staying on track there with the defense and what we've heard from some of those guys recently, we already talked about the fact that Ronnie Hickman is going to be playing at that, that free safety position. Yeah, we kind of talked about it before we got to talk to those guys, which was Jim Knowles was kind of raving about what Josh Proctor could potentially bring to the Ohio State defense once he gets healthy. But then after we kind of saw Ronnie Hickman playing at that that, that free safety position, obviously, uh, Court Williams pre hamstring issue here was running that that boundary safety bandit spot, and then of course Tanner McAllister holding down that that nickel safety spot as well for Ohio State. So that had us wondering: where does a Josh Proctor fit into that equation? Would he come back into the free safety role when he is healthy, or would he he has played up closer to the line of scrimmage before in that in a different safety role for the Buckeyes, and basically Tanner McAllister and, and other Buckeyes were saying that the Proctor has been playing a lot at the bandit position. So another a uh, different position for him there when he comes back. Although I think a lot of those, we could see some switching around there as well, especially with it being so, so far out from the actual start of the season. But especially, I think like if, if those guys have, Continued injury issues, a Court Williams or a Josh Proctor who who have had those in the past. Either guy could maybe slot in there at that bandit role. But yeah, and then a linebacker as well. I think a, a name that we keep hearing, Dan, is Tommy Eichenberg's name. And the more I and the more I go into different players in interview sessions to kind of do some writing here over these uh, weeks, I keep hearing just other players bringing up Tommy Eikenberg's name on defense and more and more. So I'm I'm thinking he's having himself a, a pretty strong off season here and making a real push to cement himself as a first stringer in that group. Yeah, I mean, I've said it all
0: along, but I think Tommy Eichenberg's probably going to be the starting Mike linebacker for Ohio State this year. And we've heard absolutely nothing this spring that would dispel that notion. And so if, if you're one of the people who was not on board with Tommy Eichenberg last year, you might want to get on board because it certainly uh, seems like he's going to play a major role again this year. And so I think to me, I, I mean, I anticipate that Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers will most likely be the two starting inside linebackers this year, how the depth chart is going to shake out behind them. I, I really have no idea because I feel like Taraja Mitchell and CJ Hicks and Cody Simon and Polly and Aceote and Gabe powers and, Chip Trainum and Reed Carrico I feel like any one of those guys could potentially factor into this thing and so that remains a very interesting position to me where I feel like there's a lot of different ways the depth chart could play out and I feel like really everybody in that position group like still has a chance to play a role but there's certainly not going to be enough snaps to go around for everybody so how all of that ultimately shakes out to me remains one of the most interesting developments that we're going to see play out over the course of this offseason and we'll continue to see play out in the spring game. I think it's safety. There's a top group that's starting to emerge. It just becomes kind of a matter of who, how they divide snaps among those guys. I mean, it certainly seems like those adjuster and bandit positions, the top three guys are are Ronnie Hickman, Josh Proctor, and, and Court Williams. And like you said, I mean, injuries happen. I mean, Proctor and Williams have both had injuries. So maybe we focus a little bit too much on who are the two starters going to be, because I think my feeling is all three of those guys are going to play. And I think as we've talked about before, Jim Knowles has hinted that it could be somewhat matchup dependent. If they're playing against a team that has more bigger bodies on the field, we're probably going to see a lot more of Court Williams. If they're playing against a spread offense that has more smaller quicker guys on the field. We're probably going to see more of Josh Proctor because Court Williams might struggle in a matchup against a slot receiver. He's a guy they're going to want on the field if they're looking to stack the box or cover a tight end. And so uh, I think all three of those guys are going to have a role. I mean, my feeling right now is Ronnie Hickman is probably going to play the majority of snaps at Adjuster, but I think that Josh Proctor certainly could play some snaps at that position if you want to get him on the field with court Williams, or I think if I was picking right now, and this could change a week from now after watching the spring game, although Josh Proctor, and court Williams, probably aren't going to play much in the spring game, but right now I would probably pick Josh Proctor to be the starter alongside Ronnie Hickman. But I think that could certainly change from week to week. And then I think if that nickel safety spot, I think Tanner McAllister is in line to be a starter bear, but it certainly sounds like Cam Martinez is making a push bear too for playing time. And so I think one way or another, I think Cam Martinez is going to see his share of snaps as well.
1: Yeah. And then back on offense for a minute, uh, one of the most ear grabbing catches quotes for me, ear catching quotes, whatever the the right combination of words there is, A quote that stood out to me from the Ohio State quarterbacks when we got to talk to him the other day was that asking CJ Stroud about Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, of course, he said Kyle McCord has improved and whatnot. But when we asked about Devin Brown, he really kind of lit up when asked about the freshman. He he said that he sees a lot of himself in Devin Brown and also that he expects Devin Brown to eventually be a Buckeye great, which, you know, what what we've talked about before in this podcast, kind of like an unprompted level of praise that he kind of chose to heap on Devin Brown, which I think is definitely a promising sign for the prospects of Devin Brown's uh, success in the future. And, but it's quotes like that, that kind of fuel that what you were talking about there before with the fact that maybe some fans are wanting to see Devin Brown get more opportunities there in comparison to Kyle McCord. You mentioned it before
0: the first two freshmen to lose their black stripes came in the past week, Kai Stokes and Caden Curry, certainly a promising sign for both of them, but particularly a guy like Stokes who was one of the lower ranked recruits in the entire class. I mean, I remember when he committed, it kind of came out of a blue. And I think at that point, I don't think he even had a composite recruiting ranking and he did rise up and eventually became a four-star recruit, but not a guy who came to Ohio state with a lot of herald. but everything we've heard about him so far has been, you know, very positive, but it, it really sounds like he's a guy who's, turning heads in practice and who they can really see developing into a a great player for Ohio State down the line. So for him to lose his black stripe first over a lot of guys who were more heralded recruits for him, I think that's a great sign for Kai Stokes' future and good for the safety depth this year as well, because we talked about it. I I mean, he's not a guy that I think is necessarily going to be a Starter is a freshman. He's a guy that he might be pushing for a spot on that too deep right now. I mean, I mean, I think there's other guys that are going to factor in there, whether it's Leif and Ransom when he comes back from injury. You've got guys like Andre Turrentine and you know Jansen Dunn and going into their second years that are going to try to push for spots there. But losing a guy like Bryson Shaw, they do need a little bit more depth to emerge there at safety. And I think this is a very promising sign that somebody like Kai Stokes might be ready to contribute more quickly than maybe people would have expected when he initially arrived.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest, Dan, because of course we kind of write up the black stripe pieces beforehand just to be prepared when those guys do lose those so we can have them up right away. When I was writing the Kai Stokes one, I was certainly not expecting him to be the first true freshman to his black stripe just because of his recruiting status and everything like that. But we have heard Jim Knowles say uh, recently that more guys at safety need to step up like you mentioned, Bryson Shaw leaving the program as well, kind of probably expedited that process for Stokes. Caden Curry as well, a guy that we saw make some plays in that that open student appreciation day practice there, a guy that's getting some reps as well at that jack position, a very promising sign for him as well as a guy that could potentially make plays right away for a defensive line that, that seems to be really having its way, like you said, with the, the offensive line at times, especially deeper down on the depth chart there as well. But what about, then some other news with the coaching staff as of late, we, we got the contracts in for some of the guys that got uh, new titles and, and raises this offseason with Brian Hartline and Tony Alford, Corey Dennis as well. Brian Hartline now making 950K, Tony Alford, 750K, and Corey Dennis, 400K. What are your biggest takeaways, Dan, from those new contracts from some of those guys?
0: Well, if you just look at the overall numbers, here, Ohio State will pay its assistant coaches $8.783 million in 2022. That's an increase of over a million dollars from last year. And from what I've seen, it's believed to be, as of right now, the highest assistant coach total salary pool in the country. And so I think that tells you right there about of the a commitment Ohio State is making to ensuring it has the best staff it can build. And certainly you know, of a contract like Brian Hartline's who got an enormous raise. I think he was making 600,000 last year. Now he gets a $350,000 raise. That's what you have to do to keep a guy like Brian Hartline because Brian Hartline is going to be in high demand. I think for both of those guys, Brian Hartline and Tony Alford, it was spurred by the fact that Marcus Freeman was interested in both of them as he built his inaugural staff at Notre Dame. But Brian Hartline's a guy that he's going to have a lot of, Opportunities. He's going to have a lot of people courting him for bigger jobs here year in and year out if he continues to recruit and if his receivers continue to produce the way they have at Ohio State over the last couple of years. Because I think pretty much everybody would agree right now that Brian Hartline is the best wide receivers coach in college football and that he is an absolute rising star in this profession. And so to keep a guy like that, you have to you have to pay up. And now I, I did laugh a little bit at the, some of the comments that you know I received after tweeting out that news. People were like he's still underpaid. Well, I mean, they did just give him a 350000 dollars race. So, I mean, for a guy who is still relatively very young in the coaching profession to be making almost a million dollars, I mean, he's doing all right, he's doing all right, they're compensating him. Pretty well. But I think the fact that they're willing to do that, they're willing to, to pay him $950,000 as their wide receivers coach. They're willing to pay Tony Alford $750,000 as their running back coach. You know, I think that shows you just across the board that Ohio State is committed to having the best possible staff that it can. And I think I can't say this for sure, but we haven't heard much about a a ryan day contract extension yet i mean it doesn't seem like anything's imminent there so it it also tells me that ryan day was more concerned going into this offseason about the resources being put into building the best possible staff he could than he was about getting a raise for himself and he has on multiple occasions praised Gene Smith, praised the university for basically telling him, go out and get whoever you need to get. And we're going to, we're going to make it happen for you. So we had heard in the past, like there had been rumblings, like, you know, I remember last year when like the Al Washington situation came up, like there had been rumblings in the past that Ohio state was hesitant to go above a certain level for its assistant coaches. And that maybe Ohio state wasn't quite as willing to spend as maybe in Alabama or a Clemson or something to keep assistant coaches. But clearly if that ever was the case, it is not the case now because Ohio State, again, is paying more to its assistant coaches than any other school in the country right now. It's got a defensive coordinator making over, it's got a defensive coordinator making 1.9 million, two other assistants making over a million and across the board, a very well compensated coaching staff at each position across the board. And so clearly Ohio State is... Willing to devote those resources to build the best possible staff, obviously with the end goal of believing that staff can bring a national championship back to Ohio State.
1: And on the recruiting trail as well, there's been some news here as of late to two commitments by the time you'll be hearing this podcast, Malik Hartford and Mark Fletcher. Dan, what can you tell me about both of those guys as Ohio State starts to beef up its 2023 cycle here?
0: Yeah. So Malik Hartford, uh, a big in state addition for the Buckeyes. We've seen Ohio State prioritize in state recruiting once again in this class, as four of the first seven commitments in the 2023 class are from the state of Ohio, with Malik Hartford joining Luke Montgomery, Joshua Padilla, and Will Smith Jr. So this was a big get for Ohio State. Certainly, they kind of just entered the race for Malik Hartford after Perry Eliano joined the staff. And that's probably one of the biggest takeaways from it is this is really Perry Eliano's first big win as a recruiter. He's a guy that came in well-regarded as a recruiter. And I think he had a very real chance to land Malik Hartford at Cincinnati if he had stayed at Cincinnati. He was his Hartford's lead recruiter there. And then by coming over to Ohio State, he was able to parlay that relationship into really moving Ohio State to the forefront of that recruitment right away And ultimately, less than three months later, landing a commitment from Malik Hartford. And so I think that might be the most encouraging takeaway from all of it is that it shows what Perry Eliano can do as a recruiter. It seems like Ohio State's doing pretty well with recruiting other safeties right now, too. They had already landed Cedric Hawkins before Perry Eliano joined the staff. Cedric Hawkins, after visiting a couple weekends ago, sounds like he's very much all in on being Ohio State. So certainly he likes what he's hearing from Perry Eliano. and then bear in the race for another five a five star safety in Caleb Downs. I know Damon Fagans another four star safety is very high in Ohio State. Joan Nelligaro is another highly rated safety who is considering Ohio State. So it seems like Perry Eliano's is off to a very good start the recruiting trail, and certainly landing Hartford with him being the best safety in the state. If that was the number one priority for Perry Eliano was to get Malik Hartford. On board and then mentioned Cedric Hawkins, Mark Fletcher is one of his seven on seven teammates from the vaunted South Florida express pipeline. And I mean, to focus on Fletcher initially just himself, I mean, this is a guy who's a highly regarded running back four-star recruit, kind of a bigger power type back so you think of a guy that maybe more of a, you know, a Mayan Williams kind of mold as a runner, somebody who I think certainly if you're pairing him with a faster back, somebody kind of a Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor mold, Ohio State still wants to bring in two running backs in that class. They're recruiting two other Florida running backs very heavily, Richard Young and Cedric Baxter Jr., who both of those guys are very highly rated recruits. So I think if they can land either one of those two guys to pair them with Fletcher, They'll have a really strong running back class of of 2023. And just on the running back recruiting front, Fletcher is a strong addition, somebody who certainly has the capability to be a a quality running back for Ohio State in the future. But the other big aspect of that is Ohio State has now landed two recruits from that South Florida Express 7-on-7 team. Those guys are very close. They make a lot of visits together. And there are some major targets in that group. I mean, start starting you know, a lot of them being receivers. I mean, in the 2023 class, you've got two five-star receivers, Brandon Innes and Carnell Tate, who are both very high on Ohio state's board. So any more ins you can get with those Fletcher also plays with Innes at American heritage high school. So anything you can do to improve the chances of landing a guy like Brandon Innes, who's the number one ranked receiver in his class is great news on that front. Carnell Tate, a guy they've been recruiting for a long time, it could help there as well. And then the same goes for the 2024 class. Two of the top receivers in that class, Jeremiah Smith and Joshi a trader, they also both play for SFE 7-on-7 seven seven team. And so that's a pipeline, like that, it's not a high school, it's a 7-on-7 seven seven team, but that feels like it's the most important pipeline for Ohio state right now is tapping into that South Florida express group, trying to get a bunch of those guys to come to Ohio state, because there's a lot of talent in that group and they're off to a really good start there, landing Hawkins and Fletcher. And so I, I think there's a strong possibility that several more players from that South Florida express group will end up, joining the Buckeyes, wherever that be in 2023 or 2024. And I think Fletcher committing so soon after their group visit is a very promising sign on that front.
1: Plenty of football to talk about here, Dan, in the offseason, but there's also plenty of basketball to talk about as well with Ohio State, because obviously the roster for the 2022-2023 season continues to kind of be developed here. With a tr- transfer portal situation going on, of, of course, NBA draft declarations, Malachi Brandom and E.J. Liddell both headed to the draft. Of course, Justin Arns in recent weeks entering the transfer portal himself. One big domino that we were waiting to see where it would fall, however, was Justice Suing, of course, who missed all the two games for Ohio State this past year with an abdominal injury. It seemed likely that he was going to come back, Dan, and you know, like we've said in the past, expected to be a big piece for the Buckeyes this past season. But just last week, John Rothstein for CBS Sports goes ahead and announces that Justice Suing has told him that he will be back in college basketball for a a sixth season using that additional year of eligibility, but that no other decisions had been made yet, which sounded vague and strange and left a lot of people, myself included, wondering, oh, does that mean that Justice Suing is is going to transfer elsewhere and go to a, a third college basketball program? Because, of course, he played his first two years at Cal. Now, did some digging on that, maybe hearing that he's not, he heard that he wasn't as likely to leave as kind of that vague statement sounded. And we didn't have to wait long to to actually hear a final word on all this, Dan, because just uh, a day later, Justice Sewing ends up announcing with a graphic and everything that that he is going to be back at Ohio State. So it was kind of a a one day of of much ado about nothing. The strangeness of some of these announcements in in the NIL era and stuff like that, a little bit of probably unneeded suspense there. A huge decision for Ohio State, a huge piece coming back for Ohio State, even if there are some questions that kind of remain about it. I'm generally not a get off my lawn guy, but do do we really need announcements
0: for not transferring? I mean, I mean that one felt I felt a little bit Unnecessary to me, but it's like you said, an NIL world and anything that maybe can get some buzz going about you. And by certainly, Justice Suing has the right to announce his plans in whatever way he sees fit. And so he decided to tell one reporter that he was going to play college basketball 24 hours before he decided to tell everyone where he was actually going to play college basketball, which was at Ohio State. I would think that when he told John Rockstein that he was going to come back and play, basketball but he probably knew at that point he was going to play at Ohio State because otherwise that would have unfolded very quickly but again more power to him to to do what he wants that was definitely an unusual one but more more importantly on you know the basketball side of things I mean certainly this was an important development for Ohio State because they've already lost EJ Liddell they're probably going to lose Malachi Branham you know, Justice Suing, had he been healthy last year, he was supposed to be one of the top three scorers of those guys. And so to losing those two guys, I think Justice Suing is a guy that they would really like to be able to come back and be a go-to option on offense for Ohio State this year. I say it that way, though, because I see some of the commentary out there about this. And it... it I'll put it this way. It could be a huge development for Ohio State that Justice Suing is back for another year. But I'm not ready to say that it will be yet because just simply because of the fact that he has dealt with a lot of injuries, we we haven't seen him play a lot of basketball for Ohio State. And so all those projections about what he could be for Ohio State this year are contingent on him. Becoming the player he was supposed to be last year—that we haven't actually seen yet, you know, right? So I think he's certainly capable of being a somebody who makes a major impact for Ohio State next year. But I also think that if they are, if they go into next season heavily reliant on, they need Justice Suing to develop into being that number one scorer for Ohio State. I don't know if that's a position that they want to be in. I think he's certainly somebody who, if he's healthy, is going to play a major role for Ohio State next season. If he's the number one guy, I think that would be concerning given the fact that he barely played any basketball last year.
1: Yeah, and and this is his sixth year now, and he doesn't have have any prior experience being the top option in a a conference like the Big Big. 10. He was the third leading scorer on the team a couple of years ago. And we, we should give him, I mean, he did start every single game for Ohio State during that one year. He started having the abdominal issue at the end of that year, but still, you know, played through it. But then the year before that, if you remember, he sat out all year as a transfer, but he also had to undergo surgery on his foot, I think in January. And even if he was available, he would have missed most of that season as well. So that's two seasons out of the last three that he's been on the sidelines, which how much improvement can you make when you're missing that amount of time? And we're talking about him as a guy who it's not just like roll him out there and he's going to be a star for you. It's a guy you're anticipating he makes another leap and he might not have had the ample time to be able to actually do that here given some of the circumstances he's been through. But of course I think you put him with a guy like Tanner holding a big transfer development for high state recently. It could be interesting there the the combination of the two types of very versatile forwards 666768 that can play a lot of different positions it could make for an interesting roster makeup for the buckeyes but again i don't think that this roster is necessarily done being constructed just yet because i think we can definitely expect to see some more noise made in the transfer portal and one big time transfer visiting ohio state as soon as as next week yeah who are the guys that you look at right now as
0: who are the, the top targets for ohio state in the transfer portal
1: Yeah, I mean, I I talked about this guy last week, and and some people are more or less convinced about the likelihood of him actually landing with Ohio State, but Nigel Pack for Kansas State, hes I think CBS has him listed as the number two transfer in the country right now. He's a six-foot guard from Kansas State, but he averaged 17.4 points per game last season, well over like 43% from three-point range, and I was talking, you know, last week on this podcast about how he fits a lot of needs in one for Ohio State because they're losing A whole lot of guards. They're losing a whole lot of scoring. And you just look at last season with Jamari Wheeler at point guard. It was kind of underwhelming in terms of an offensive perspective in terms of you'd really like to have a point guard that could score a little bit more than what Jamari Wheeler gave you. And if not, a guy that can knock down threes. And you're also losing that because you're losing in Justin Arns, even if he didn't hit threes as consistently as a lot of fans would have liked. That's a guy that can do all of those things in one, be a point guard that can score for you. And you're talking about not knowing what who, who your first option is on offense, expecting a guy in just as suing to right now on paper, maybe be your, your number one scorer. Nigel Pack maybe comes in and alleviates a lot of that pressure off of a guy like that as well. But we also saw a few other guys start whittling their, their lists down of potential landing destinations here recently with Ohio State being amongst the top five, six, seven schools there. Sean McNeil, a teammate of Jalen Bridges, who was another guy that, that recently visited Ohio state as like a six, eight forward. As of late, you, you wonder with Suing coming back in, and Holden being another guy, a, a wing guy, you know, what that does to Ohio state's pursuit of some of these wings with a similar build, but uh, a teammate of bridges being a uh, Sean McNeil. He's more, he's a more of a two guard, more of a six, three guard that can that step out and hit threes. That's a guy you look at with Arns being out the door. Now, do you bring in a guy like that in terms of, Big men, because I know a lot of people are going, why is Ohio State so focused on getting these guards? We need a big guy. That's a, something something that a lot of people are clamoring for. Manny Bates, a North Carolina State transfer. He's a guy that blocks a, a whole lot of shots. Average like 9.8 points. Season before last, because last season he, he had a season-endering shoulder injury within the first, I think the first like few minutes of the first game of the year or something like that. He's a 6'10", 6'11 guy that has Ohio State, I believe, in his top six schools or something like that that could be a promising option. South Carolina's leading scorer last year, another two-guard type, Jermaine a Cousinard, something like that. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his last name. He's got Ohio State also listed among his top schools as well. So those certainly seem to be, like some of those guys aren't names you necessarily have heard before if you're not some huge college basketball junkie. But if you're actually looking at lists of the, the top transfers in the country, you know, several of those guys appear pretty high on those lists.
0: Ohio State right now, if, you just, if you're just looking at guys who were on the team last year that have not either exhausted their eligibility or expressed plans to leave, right now, Ohio State would be right at the limit of 13 scholarships. But it certainly seems like they're expecting at least one or two spots to open up. That could be as simple as Harrison Hookman's not coming back. I don't know if Seth Towns is coming back to play next year. It could be as simple as that. But it certainly seems like they're expecting one or two spots to open up with a number of guys that they're still pursuing in a transfer portal.
1: Yeah, I would think that that would definitely be the case. And like we said before, I think Hookfin isn't coming back, but should still probably get official confirmation on that in some capacity. Seth Towns, I'm hearing an announcement, possibly not an announcement, but a decision would be coming in a few weeks. Seth Towns is not necessarily the type of guy to do a big social media graphic and things of that nature. If you know him at all, maybe he will. But I think uh, we'll probably be hearing about him sometime soon. And I actually don't know where that decision is going to fall one way or another. And soon after Ohio State kind of figures that out, I think we might see some more noise made in the in the transfer portal, depending on what the decision is there. Well, thanks again for joining
0: us on Real Pod Wednesdays. Hope everybody enjoys the spring game on Saturday. And we will be back next week to break down everything we learned in Mishu.